But welcome to The Emergent Human, where we explore optimizing health, embodied spirituality, and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Osterlink, a therapist, coach, and educator, and I'm your host. Today, we have a special guest, a returning guest, Michelle James. She is CEO of the Center for Creative Emergence and a Creative Emergence coach. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. This is more of a dialogue than an interview. Good to see you, Michelle. Nice to see you, too. Uh, you just reminded me offline of the integral salons I used to host back mid-2000s in Washington, D.C. I used to also host transparency salons, but for this conversation is integral. And you reminded me of some teaching you did at, this, at one of my salons. Remind me in, in, greater, in greater depth of what you did at the salon. Sure. Well, I remember, I'll even just back up a step further because Please. I took the four-day integral leadership training that where I first met you maybe a year earlier than that, where it was mm -hmm. you and Suzanne and a couple other people were teaching it. And um, that is where actually I met some lifelong friends like you and, and Michael and Robbie. And, um, and then Michael you were Margolis hosting. and Robbie Richmond. Yeah, exactly. And we were all there and yeah. you were hosting um, the Integral DC. And I, cause I became fascinated with Integral Theory and seeing the possibilities in it. And you were hosting the Integral DC salons. And so I became a regular and would start going to that. And it was great because you always had the most diverse, fascinating group of guests from all over looking at exploring integral, you know, the spiral dynamics, the quadrant from all different levels. And um, then we, I presented once, twice there uh, doing integral theater where I was merging things I was learning from uh, improv theater and storytelling and making, how do you bring the integral theory to life using improv and other theatrical techniques. Now, you have many skills. Improv is one of them, one of the many things you do teach. Remind us, remind me, but remind all of us how you brought in improv and integral theater into the salon space. Right. So I remember, and it was like you said, I mean, we're, this was maybe 16 years ago, something like it was, yeah, a, it was yeah. a while ago. So I don't remember exactly. I don't have every activity I did, but I remember doing work around uh, having people embody the different value memes mm -hmm. and they would move from that. So they would embody a meme and walk across the room and interact non-verbally with others from that value. That's meme. Awesome. I remember doing something where different um, people would read about a value meme and then they would go out on a date a first date with someone from a completely different value meet. <laughs> and we would all be, and, and we would just be watching the date. And the only thing was their character had to stay true to their values. So I'll never forget. I remember uh, someone from the green brought like three people with them out to the date <laughs> doing it. And, uh, and then we did storytelling around the different memes. And also I remember um, getting in groups of four and having people all tell a future story. Everyone did it from a different part of the quadrant, the I, it, we, it's. So they had to stay true. They had to contribute to the story and co-create 
this uh, the vision of a future. It was something like 20 years ahead of time from their quadrant and what it would look like and using the improv technique of yes and building on each other. So those were those are the ones I remember. So cool. Yeah. That was and, cool. and just for the uh, viewing and listening audience, um, we're referring to integral theory would be the theory that Ken Wilber helped to popularize and expand upon. Um, I was affiliated with Ken back in the early 2000s is when he first launched the Integral Institute. Um, and then you also referenced uh, Spiral Dynamics, which is popularized by Don Beck, as well as Chris Callen. I, we were connected to Don Beck's side of the, the, the right. sides, um, but they developed their models from Claire Graves, who originated the, through the, his own research, the Spiral Dynamics system of thought. Which was a developmental values, you know, um, a developmental model yeah. of how values evolve over time, just like an individual has a developmental model, um, society and culture does. I just remembered that you and I also were in Don Beck's workshops. In yes. DC. Yeah. Don came in. I, I, we did one and two. Like, see, he yeah. had level one and level two. I right. think he might have come back a few times because I do recall like doing a few, going back, redoing like level one and or level two, even after being certified, just because I like to spend time with Don. There's a great group of people and very interesting. Yeah, those were, those were interesting times because they were uh, um, before social media and yeah. before meetups. So people were having in, D in the DC area. All, we were all going to all kinds of different salons and in-person groups. And I, that was, there was something very special about that. A lot of bonding happened there where I've developed a lot of lifelong friends for, from those groups during that, probably that 10 year time period. Which, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Especially That's that fun. you're still like so close with Michael and Robbie and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's really neat to um, that to see where all the people from that group, the integral DC group are, you know, everybody's kind of, some people have moved to different places and we're all doing our own different things, but there's still this uh, thread, I think, that everyone has around human potential and development and, and the new paradigm and how do we create a new paradigm and make a better world and, you know, what's our role within it. So that's I'm, I'm very excited to see your <laughs> evolution over the years of the things you're doing. Thank you. Thanks. Um, I'm reminded that you also introduced me to Kay. Yes. She was a somatic based therapist. And remind me of that because you know, I'm, my memory's not the best, but I do remember going out to Pennsylvania and right? training with her. But you're the I, one who originally introduced me to her. And even before you introduced me to her, you did some work with me at one point, somatic work. I was in a five-year program called Core Somatics, which was Core a psychophysical healing modality. And it was, we did hands-on body work and integrated Feldenkrais, the Alexander Technique, um, Gestalt Psychology, uh, Depth Psychology and Expressive Arts. And because you and I had so many overlaps of interest, and I remember you were always very into the body and health and fitness and trying different things. And one day, I just remember you and I were on some floor in an office, yes. and I was doing the court, some core somatics yeah. on your shoulder yes. in, in some little office space in DC. And I, you really gravitated toward it that you went and spent, I think, a weekend uh, with did. Kay 
getting trained, getting body work from her and trained on her core somatics techniques. But then I know you've also done so many other body centered kinds of practices as well. What, what was your, cause every time I would check in every couple of years, you were on something new, something well, or with the body and then training the seals and the fitness. Yeah. What was your trajectory around that? Um, so I did my postgraduate training in CIS in their somatic psychology program. Um, that, and the reason that actually I did that was completely an exploration of an experience that I had. I was doing some non-ordinary states work. I got in touch over many, many hours, some deep psychological slash spiritual issues related to breath and came out of that going, I need to understand what the hell just happened. <laughs> that was amazing. So then I went back and I studied you know, CIS. Uh, Don Johnson, who ran the program, was one of my professors. And, I, and, and Tina Stonstred, and there's some other professors there that I also had too, Judith Weaver. Um, and I did about, I think, almost a year there. Um, and it was just amazing. because uh, yeah. And I'm always curious. So like, I don't know that, I, oh, I answered my questions. I know exactly what's going on in my body and I can move on. That, that's never the case. But, you know, I, like, I learned a lot. And I could integrate what I learned over that year into my work as a therapist and then eventually a coach. And then, as you mentioned, you know, I, I did do the uh, three-week SOF Academy, which is a program run by SealFit back in 2009, mm-hmm. which is a program to train young men who want to go Navy Special Warfare or Navy SEALs. I was 39. I wasn't 22. I wasn't going to Navy Special Warfare, but I did the program <laughs> anyways. And I trained with some amazing young men, all who got their trident. So they're all SEALs presently. Um, and then we, so after the three weeks and the three weeks were in great because it was like 12, 14 hours a days of training. We started meditating by five 30 every morning. And then we trained to like seven 30 that night and wide variety of stuff, meditation, yoga. Also, like you can imagine from former Navy SEALs, like very physical, physical training, beaches, oceans, grinder, PT, the mountains, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and then we finished it off with what was called Kokoro Camp, which was modeled after Hell Week, which is like a 50-hour camp, no sleep. And you literally spend 50 hours in multiple different venues from the beaches to the oceans, the mountains, on the grinder, just getting, showing what you're capable of doing physically over 50 hours. Um, and what was really cool about that is, you know, I survived, which is cool. <laughs> um, I did well. I made some amazing good friends who I still have friends, you know, 10 years later, but the gentleman who founded the program, Commander Mark Devine, liked, um, liked me. We, we hit it off over the three weeks and the Figaro course. We both shared Wilbur in common. He was very interested in, in integral theory. Um, he was very interested in somatic psychology. He was a yoga practitioner and teacher. He's a longtime meditator into the martial arts. I'm a longtime meditator into the martial arts. We, we had a lot of it in common. And he brought me back a year later to help him build out a program um, more civilian oriented, meaning like what we learned in the three weeks is spread out over a year, but scaled. So it's not just for like 22 year old young men, but for hockey moms and dads and CEOs. And I just fell off the couch and then never moved to I'm an elite athlete and I want the next best thing. Um, and I spent about 10 years working with him, building out those programs, building other programs and running and leading or co-leading some of those programs too. So yeah, the semantic wow. stuff and the kind of the hardcore fitness stuff kind of came together over that period of time. Amazing. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things I think that 
we have in common as well as a lot of people that are kind of in the overlapping arenas of, that we are trying to look at how do we create what's next and that is sort of a, a foot in sort of the mainstream and what's going on and and really valuing and appreciating what is and also a foot in the kind of what can be and what might emerge and how could that look and you know kind of navigating that um, you know, using to use Ken Wilber's word, you know, transcending and including that. So really valuing health and fitness and all the programs that are already existing. And then also going into some of the more alternative ones and, and exploring things that are not so that are off the beaten path, but not to the negation of the ones that are on it, you know, just kind of yeah. like a yes. And, you know, exactly. to use an improv term, like yes. Anding that which already is and in that being able to look at how do we you know serving what wants to emerge and 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 i think it's interesting that your podcast is human emergence my my work is creative emergence which they're both completely connected you know overlapping uh but the idea of emergence and yeah. i know we came on here today with absolutely no plan of what we would talk about with it, except for just that we're both interested in emergence. So we might ex start exploring uh, from there. So I have a question for you that's just coming into my own mind. And that is, why did you call this podcast Human Emergence of all the names that you could possibly have chosen? What was it about? Yeah, great question. It's also the name of my coaching program. Yeah, okay. Um, human emergence. I, I'm a, I coach for other programs, but the program I created that I run myself is called Human Emergence, um, and it's for a few reasons. One is in working with a lot of people, seemingly a lot of people think, "Oh, there's an end state. I'm going to get to that point, whatever that point is, and then I'm done. Like I'm a, I'm enlightened. I'm optimized. Everything's perfect." And that's never, you know, my experience and my experience coaching hundreds and now thousands of people and doing therapy with people, that's never true. There's never like, unless you're dead, there's never a final stage, even, even some metaphysical beliefs that I might hold that's right. not even dead is not a, a final stage. Um, but, you know, there's always continually emergence over time because life conditions change. And what the skills and capacities and mindsets necessary to adapt healthily to changing life conditions are always going to change and emerge and grow and develop over time. So there's no final end stage. So when I work with people, I, I help them, I encourage them to think that way. Like it's a continually unfolding process. Mm -hmm. And then when I do my policy work, it's very much the same thing. Uh, in the transparency space, I try to help people understand that as progressive, if I'm working with progressive folks, as they think they are, today's progressives are going to be tomorrow's reactionary conservatives because whatever is progress today then becomes stabilized in the culture is then reacted against the next stage of progress whatever that might be and if you think you have it oh this is the worldview this is the final worldview if they just listen to me i mean that leads to millions of deaths we've seen historically over time when you think you have the right answer and you're forced on other people but it's not true i mean all the deaths of size are horrible, but even like the, this final vision of a, a political utopia is not true 
very similar to individuals' life conditions continually changes. The world globally, or even nationally or locally, conditions continually change. So like there's always a continually emergence of what we might call progress over time. So, you know, that's kind of the kind of those two things play in my mind with with the human emergence. It's a continually unfolding process of what it means to be human and the skills, capacities and uh, mindsets necessary to thrive in ever changing conditions. How's that sound? Yeah, I love it. And, and of course, I resonate with so much of it. And I love what you said about, you know, and, and it is true and it's true as an individual, no matter um, what area you're talking about in, in any area of your life, you know, what your, your status quo comfort zone and what you believe at any given time is subject to change as you shift, grow, change, evolve, as the world shift, grows, changes, evolves. And, uh, you know, I know I work a lot with people sort of at the edge of what they know, you know, at that inflection point between the edge of what they know and the un, the emergent unknown, that which is hasn't yet emerged, but it's in kind of in the unfolding, but it's not yet visible or knowable. And that can be a really, that's, uh, you know, exhilarating place to be. And it could be a really scary place to be. And when it's a scary place to be, it is easy to hang on, right? To, it's, it's easy to go back and sort of cling to, to something that's familiar um, because there's almost this little chasm of, you know, it's between the trapezes or, or a little like a break or something where you've kind of, you're not, you're no longer connected to what you were connected to. And it could be anything, a job, a, a, an idea, a belief, um, a way of thinking, a capacity, but the new one hasn't fully formed or emerged and is not complete yet in your consciousness. So there's this uh, fertile unknown space. And I know we see it as this kind of a live space of potential but when you're in it, it can be really disconcerting, discombobulating. And, and uh, you know, I know, and, and the, just to the, 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 the cling, a clinging to being one right way or, or being certain about something or um, can, can sometimes, is sometimes if you even just open a little to, Maybe I don't know the entire picture of what's calling to emerge, or maybe that just even creating any kind of space you could create between certainty and uncertainty, it's where it's what we don't know where the creative potential really is. You know, um, I just had this conversation not too long ago. Someone asked me about some of this stuff, and I and I and I said, I think human beings tend to be conservative, and I don't mean politically energetically and, and i think it's it's an evolutionary imperative for us to be conservative energetically because we couldn't afford over hundreds and thousands and millions of years to expend energy that we couldn't afford to expend because it might be a non-survival that's why a majority of us don't like novelty like stability like security like safety so let me just stop there and ask you if you think that's accurate I think it's so spot on, you know, one of, uh, and I think it's built in to the system of um, creativity and the animating life force itself in, in nature, you know, and I know I've used this example so often, but you know, the, 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 the egg, 
maintains the status quo. The new life energy of the chick is trying to bump up against it. There's a mm-hmm. dynamic tension as it happens, you know, the flower against the bud, anything there, I think it's embedded in us to have one part that wants to maintain the status quo and be secure. And, um, and one part that wants to bust free and bloom and open and try new things. And I think that it's, um, that we often will miss, but we don't know what it's going to be like, you know, once we bust out of the shell, let's say. And so there's, so um, people um, misinterpret or not even maybe misinterpret. Sometimes people will value security over safety. So there's a difference between safety and security. You know, there's a safety in the natural way if left to its own devices, the natural way of birth would happen. You know, there's a protection around something. And then when it's ready, it's formed, it's gestated to a point that it's ready to be born. And it might not be comfortable. It might not be pretty. It's often super messy, but it's it's still their safety, but it's, it's not secure. And so sometimes I think people will cling to security and it may or may not be safe rather than understanding that embedded in the way we create and emerge, there actually is something safe in it, Hmm. but it might not be secure. It's safe Hmm. in in that it's the way nature creates. So there's a sort of a DNA of, you know, hey, you're, you're not, you're using a process that's already in the system. You know, that's already the way, it's, it's the way nature creates, it's the way we create. It's the way birth happens. There's a, you know, expand and contract some labor, something is born. So there's a sort of a safety in knowing it. um, And, but it often means letting go of the security of what's comfortable and just embracing or, or staying with the the tension of the discomfort until we start to form and shape what's next. You know, visually, I'm just uh, thinking through like two different ways of thinking about birth since you're talking about and human human being birth. Like you can see sections are very popular. They have been for quite a few decades because they're easy. Now, obviously, some women might need them for health reasons. I'm not speaking of that. I'm speaking like the ease of the doctor, the ease of the mother. However, listen to you speak on the safety side, not not secure on the safety side, that's the wrong way of going because there's a there's a process that's evolved over millions of years. We're going through the birth canal, as an example, provides the uh, microbiome, the long-term health of the baby because they need to get it through the birth, they need to get it through the vagina, as an example. They don't get it if they go through the stomach, they do as a C-section. It's, it's secure to take the baby away and give it to a professional. It's safe to give it to the mother so, the, so it can do breastfeeding. So the oxytocin is released, so there's bonding. Mm. So I'm just like, I'm just thinking through like, oh, safety, security is really interesting. Just using your birth analogy with real birth process right. and how we've mechanized, medicalized it in some senses to make it more secure as opposed to the natural way of doing it, which is safe um, and long-term health, more health producing. Right. And, and that, uh, and you know, oh my gosh, we could go so deep in this rabbit hole, but um, 
Right, because even in the natural, like think of how many women died through natural childbirth. So mm-hmm. it's not ultimately, you know, there's a, it's, there's a natural way of birthing things, but there are often complications. And some of the complications, you know, um, I know when someone's trying to birth like a new product or a new business idea or something that they, something soulful that they want to put out into the world and create. Uh, there is, there are choices, there, there are sort of um, systems in place within them, within us all, that where we got educated or socialized in certain ways that took us out of our natural way of knowing, or are, mm-hmm. took us out of the belief system, you know, out of the faith in our own intuitive ways of knowing that we then have to go back and consciously learn. And so sometimes it might mean that you, in, in any kind of creative birth, if, you know, I look at my role a lot with my coaching as a, a midwife, you know, I help them yeah. birth something new in the world. Um, I often say, you know, I'm the midwife, not the nanny. <laughs> you know, I kind of help it be born <laughs> um, and, and shape it, form it, structure it, and then kind of um, put it out there. And depending on who the person is and where, you know, what kind of belief systems they've carried, what kind of experiences they have, what kind of gift skills, challenges they are, how they create, there, there's so many different things that inform how the process is. For some people, it, it is sort of like, easy birth, you know, it just kind of plops right out. And for other people, it's a very laborious struggle because there's a lot of, uh, you know, maneuvering and changing and shifting. And both are, both are, you know, create the larger safety in that this is going to happen, you know, just this, even to use your analogy with the the doctor, um, you know, so sometimes it's not safe, right? Or or it's not life-giving for the mother or the baby in certain circumstances to have the baby without a C-section. So there's still mm-hmm. ways that they can make it a healthy birth. Yeah. Um, it's not as, so it's sort of like bringing safety in, bringing, bringing safety in, bringing security in, but knowing that some insecurity and fears and unknowns are gonna come along with it. And that is part of the growth process and part of the emergence process. Yeah, like uh, Jim Turner talks about integrating order and freedom. Yes. Uh, as example, yeah. Um, structure and flow, struck- you know, structure and flow. Like everything yeah. is this dynamic between order and freedom or structure and flow or or order and chaos. You know, that, that it's like, you know, or the, the, the land, you know, figure ground and gestalt, you know, and the, and, or the land and the, the water and where, where that comes, you know, those places it comes together. There's, and what I've discovered, what I, I've just discovered from working with all these people is that everyone's internal order of structure and flow is unique. It's like almost a, a fingerprint in them, how much structure they need and what kind and how much flow they need and what kind that it's nothing you know um to do with what mine might be it's very unique to their themselves let me ask you this because i heard you talk about beliefs and i know you're somatically trained and kind of hold that perspective among many perspectives 
how have you seen clients who have who are having a hard time birthing something new? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of they're they're having a hard time getting to that novel creative space. Um, how does that show up in their bodies? Yeah, well, that's a great question, and um, so I know there are so many different kinds of somatic work that people use to have people move through blocks or or um, contractions. So it, it might show up anything from showing up in their posture to showing up to how they navigate to showing up. It, it might to showing up um, to how their body will impact how they hold their body will impact what they think. Also though, it shows up all of us it shows uh, we have our habitual ways of moving and our habitual ways of expressing. And so a big piece for me is the pattern breaking, going into the non-habitual. That there are ways, what I did learn in the course Maddox and other somatic based trainings I've had is there are ways of getting people to break uh, their somatic habits to create space for new, more life-giving habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no matter how old someone is, there are ways, there are ways of working with it. And that when you start to move the body differently, you begin to think differently. Mm-hmm. Truly, when you, when you, or even uh, you know, I know in, in theater, there are things and, and improv things that there are games around levels. You know, sometimes you're sitting, sometimes you're standing, sometimes you're and, and where you are in space and how you're sitting and how you're being might inform your character or it might in, in improv, it might inform what you're thinking. So I know I use no matter what, uh, who I'm working with, corporate, government or public workshops, I always use a lot of body centered work to get people moving in their body differently. So it frees up their mind to begin to think differently. What about you? How, how do you- I love that? Yeah. Yeah, um, when, when I work with people to help them think differently, I, I usually start actually in their body and I have them see how their limited thinking or strict binary thinking or their black and white thinking or their status quo thinking or however it's framed because everyone's different how we, I talk to them about it shows up in their body as a lack of flexibility. It can show up, like you said, posture. It can show up in muscle tone. It can show up in respiration. And it's fascinating because you can work like you do. I can work through their body and free some of those things up and then create some new habits and some new movement patterns. And that changes the thinking. But I've also had people change their thinking and notice it shows up differently. Like their body shows up differently as a result because their thinking shifts. So it's not like it's not one way. I think it works both ways. I think ultimately integration work, you know, you can work one to enter the other, or you can work both. I think working both is even better way than just working one. I totally agree. Yes. I think that's a great point. It's, it's both outside in and inside out. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's like everything in nature, you know, there are some things if, if um, you know, it's also the, you know, it's the, the paradox of, you know, do you move from the inside out um, just, uh, you know, on, and you're, 
to your own rhythm. But then, but we also live in a society where other people influence our how we'll move with them. So it's, you know, we're moving from the outside in or inside out with others, but also within ourselves. Sometimes we get impulses from the body that we can learn to move from those impulses and it changes our thinking. And then sometimes we change our thinking or our breathing or do, you know, draw something or, you know, do something and that changes how we are in our body. A hundred percent. I think it is, I think it is the both and, and that's making me also think of the idea of that I see a lot and it comes up a lot in creative emergence. And I wonder if it comes up for you, you know, sort of that integration or the dance between agency and communion, the dance <laughs> between your own unique self and your own unique impulses and, and your own unique creativity, what you want to put out to the world and what the world needs and what others are doing and how what others are doing will inform what that is. You know, so none of us are islands, creative islands, but, and, um, but what I've come to feel is the same way uh, in a community to really contribute to community, you have to know a little bit of who you are, right? Yeah. And so to commune, to really contribute to the evolution of our world or, or whatever we want to create, we, it's helpful when we have had taken some time to, to do our own emergence work. Get to know. I completely agree. Are. And, and I love the agency and communion idea. And I would say that um, one person who's been really helpful with me on that is Dr. Stuart Zabotsky. Mm. He's a scholar of Kundalini, Kundalini Yoga. And I worked with him in the 90s and we've stayed in contact this whole time. And I've been in a lot more contact with him recently to flesh out the limitations of my own thinking. Because I've I, a lot of my work has been very, very agenic. Like let's you know, free the individual from the yeah. constraints of the culture, family of origin and all that stuff. And I, and I do believe in all that stuff. Um, and he, he talks about two paths. He talks about the, the path of the monk and the path of the family. And I've been doing the path of the monk. What that means is like everything, every object in the environment is a tool for your own transformation. Mm. So if someone triggers you, you can use that as a way to free yourself up from your attachments to whatever is triggering you. And I work with the people somatically to do that. His point is like, okay, that is a path. It's a very agenic, I'm in my cave path, <laughs> you know, and everything is like a real, but an illusion and it triggers me and I can use them to free myself from it. He, his thing is the family path, which is the relationship path. So it's not about me freeing myself by using you because you trigger me. It's about us relating differently. Mm which I think is beautiful. So I've been working on integrating both those things. I think both are important. I love so, that. And I'm working on that in my own life. I think I too have had more of the path of the monk. And then, um, and, and yet I've always been drawn to um, group programs and not both facilitating, but also participating. A lot of my uh, trainings and healings have been in group and I've evolved or grown or, um, got to see parts of myself that needed healing or transforming through group and through the relationship. So I think both are truly significant and it's sort of like a great improv ensemble that I imagine is also, I know that's true in a jazz group or also, you know, in any kind of sports that each individual has to do their, you know, does their part. They have to have some degree of agency 
And, but also they're in emergence. The whole that emerges is greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah. And when every, and it needs the, it needs the individual, it needs the relationship between the individual. And then it needs that third thing, the field, the creative emergent mm -hmm. field to help inform. And that's when we get more of the flow. I love that. Yeah, we haven't brought in the field yet into this conversation. I know. <laughs> um, but we might need to say that. But I do want to make a, I want to speak to something because you said like you, you've you been in communities which have been really helpful to you learn for your own healing. Yeah. And I'll say that my coach and teacher, Amanda, encouraged me to join a men's group, which I joined, I did this last year called the Mythic Masculine. Mm. And it's been fascinating. And it's not just, it's the men's group, but there's women in the group. And in fact, the last session we had was all women and me, which is kind of, which is really funny to be in a men's group with all women, but there's usually more men and some women, but it doesn't really matter. It, it's a great group. And we explore like, you know, through relationship, a lot of the, a lot of this stuff. And for me, it's been fascinating because I'm used to leading groups, mm. but I'm not used to being in a group as a member because it's, I, I, it's I've not really ever been my thing, if that makes sense. And it's been, it's been really cutting edge for me mm. uh, and challenging in a really good way to like show up differently, not as the therapist coach, but as a, as a man, human being who like, who wants to relate to people differently. Um, and it's been wonderful. So I, I, I heal you. I heal you. I feel you on the I heal you and community. I feel you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I definitely have gotten value of both for sure. There are things that I've done either on my own that have been immensely helpful where I get some of my greatest, you know, insights kind of in my own emergence space, things that I've done one-on-one -on -one with someone, whether they were like a coach or a support healer kind of person. I have a, um, my friend, Jim, who's also a coach and we, for 15 years, we meet every two weeks and we just support each other. Like, okay, what's up? And then we, and he's a nice. masterful coach. And then, um, and then in several communities, training communities where I was a participant and not the leader. And for me, and that's what got me so much into the, the power of facilitation and what it can do when you have a good facilitator. My experience in those groups was directly related to how safe I felt with that the facilitator held the container. Great facilitators or group leaders that hold the container that I didn't need to subconsciously or consciously try to take over or, or be protect. I could surrender to what was actually wanting to heal and emerge. And uh, that's why I feel that, you know, kind of like part of what we're in, the revolution will be facilitated, you know, that, that it needs a lot of people facilitating a lot of different groups in a lot of different places to um, unearth the wisdoms that are needed um, to help us move forward from where we are. So um, can I suggest we come back and continue this conversation? This is I'd love it. Okay. I always love it. I uh, want to thank everyone for our viewing and listening audience. This is Michael Osterlink. I've been talking to Michelle James. Uh, this is part one of hopefully many continued conversations, just like kind of exploring emergence and human connection and health and well-being and all kinds of wonderful things that she and I love. <laughs>
So I, I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Michael.